Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast. I'm Jules Hilliard, founder and CEO of Secure Block Technologies, bringing you the industry's first blockchain operations center, or BOC for short. Monitoring analytics and security and validation for all of your chains and nodes and dApps from one single pane of glass. From developers, enterprise companies tapping into the many benefits of blockchain, our BOC will optimize your DevOps cycle, or Dev Chain Ops as we call it, and expedite your next-gen chains and dApps into production. For more information, please visit our website at secureblocktech.com. On today's podcast, we need to jump right in and address the cybersecurity attack happening right now. Right here in the good old U.S. of A., perhaps the greatest breach and threat that we have faced in modern history. Although the experts are digging in on this all-hands-on-deck breach, we are going to tell you what we know so far, what the damage could be, what the response might look like, and of course, how blockchain and AI could help in future attacks. Cybersecurity is the battlefield of the future, so let's go to our war room now. Coming back for another round with us, we are excited to welcome Mr. Big Bad Bill McGraw. For those of you that weren't with us last time, Bill is the managing partner of E2D Capital, actively driving one of his premier portfolio companies, Factor Chain. Welcome, Bill. Thanks, Charles. Good to be back and see you guys again. Absolutely. We've got some great stuff to talk about today. And when there's cyber war, SBT brings our own pack of cyber war dogs to the fight. Joining us, our mean old pack dog with the intelligence that most would consider artificial, our CAIO, Mr. John Hooks. Welcome back, John. My pleasure, Jules. And our in-house lead cyber special forces CISO, Mr. Joel Samangan. We were very excited to get your take on this topic today. Welcome, my friend, Joel. Thanks, uh, Jules. Glad to be here and uh, happy holidays <laughs> to everyone. Absolutely. Happy holidays. Uh, let's see what we can do to, to help keep it happy. You know, we're going to kick this off and uh, we're going to change it up a little bit today and go a little more fireside chat. Uh, we have a lot to talk about, a lot, a lot of intelligent uh, people on this call. I'm going to kick it off by talking a little bit about, we've talked about it in the past, uh, the importance of DevOps, uh, which evolved, as we all know, to DevSecOps. And then, of course, as we've named in blockchain, uh, dev chain ops. And I feel that as we dig in uh, generally on exactly what happened, uh, then I think we should probably take a further look into the importance of uh, DevOps through the entire cycle. Uh, Joel is our resident uh, cybersecurity specialist. Uh, how about you lead us off? Oh, thank you, Jules. Um... And uh, so I, I like the, the fact that we're talking about uh, this thing right now. Obviously, this is my uh, bread and butter, and I've been doing this for multiple decades. And uh, it's just, just wanted to share some information uh, that most of you, unless you're not following uh, or looking on the Internet, it's very hard to miss. So I, I've seen so many reports right now, uh, currently specifically what caught my eye, uh, there was a report that shows the United States uh, is currently number one on, on the top 20 most or worst affected countries by data theft with over 1.8 million reported cases. So according to the report, that's about four times as much as the number two on the list, which is uh, South Korea, next to Canada, the UK, and Australia taking third, fourth, and fifth place. And the recent report that a cyber firm 
well-known cyber firm, uh, FireEye, was reported to have been breached by what's reported to be uh, nation-state hackers, which uh, resulted in the compromise of its software uh, tools that basically is used to test the defenses of their customers, which is obviously a big deal. I mean, this is nothing, something that you can just brush off. And according to the FBI, that they indicate an actor with a high level of sophistication that is consistent with a uh, nation state. Hence, this is really a high profile case. And, and it's important to note also, as I read the uh, report, that according to what they've uh, identified, that they weren't even clear when the breach actually took place. Well, for me as a cyber guy, th this is a very huge problem that I have seen over and over again from various breach reports that I've seen. Veronis uh, reported that um, it takes almost 200 days before an organization detects a breach. This has actually gone down from what I've seen in the past where it used to be like 300 plus days or more, which is basically translates to over a year before an organization can even identify that they have been breached. And then I saw another report, a separate report that IBM, uh, IBM uh, reports that, uh, that the organizations uh, all usually take about almost 70 days to contain a breach. Again, that, that seems a long time uh, just from the detection plus the containment of the breach. And then we have the most recent uh, report, and it's still actually in the news right now, with uh, the targeted cyber attacks via solar winds, which basically impacted several U.S. federal agencies, some of which uh, says DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, DOJ, uh, the Treasury Department, Department of Energy, and so on, and even some other non-government or private organizations. And, most recently, I saw a report that Microsoft actually uh, reported that they were impacted as well. Now, though the, in these investigations are still ongoing, um, it was reported that hackers were able to uh, gain access through a Trojanized updates uh, to using the, the SolarWinds Orion software. And, and then uh, there was also another report that the SolarWinds exposed their FTP credentials in public GitHub repo, where a cybersecurity researcher tweeted that, and basically hinted to us that this compromise could even date back in 2019, way before the reported US federal attacks. Again, I could probably go on for hours to uh, share with you more and more about this really heightened and escalating cyber attacks that's happening, not just in the US, but across the globe. And this will be a good uh, talking point for this session. You guys uh, have any uh, input to share, uh, John uh, or Bill, regarding what I just mentioned? Feel free to chime in. I'll take it. So at the risk of being uh, trite or basic or boiling things down to a very low level, this is not an artificial attack, no pun intended. Uh, these advanced persistent threats uh, have been around for a long time, uh, and they're very sophisticated, as you mentioned, uh, Joel. And there is a significant amount of money, effort, and time put forth. We, we don't have all the facts yet. But I'm going to go on record as saying that 
in my experience working in high-speed networking, network monitoring, um, deep probing of networks as part of the Wall Street community, uh, financial services organizations, uh, this is something that is very difficult to prevent. Uh, even with the sophistication of uh, AI and machine learning tools, the model, and threat models that you can come up with in all different scenarios, uh, it's more about the tactics that are used in these attacks versus the techniques. Because, uh, Joel, uh, again, as you know, if, if you want to get a password from a particular uh, organization, th there's several ways of doing it, right? So uh, if you focus on a tactic, that is you try to prevent someone from getting your passwords, then you separate out, you know, maybe time misspent applying AI and ML models to trying to figure out which passwords have been attacked to more finding out, okay, what's the potential? What's my um, attack surface and what tactics should I be, uh, you know, preventing, right? Uh, so that's my first point. My second point is, you know, you, you we really don't know to the extent to which this type of attack has collateralized. Uh, we know that in a supply chain breach such as this, uh, as you mentioned, they go into the uh, the kernel of the system, or in this case, uh, one of the files, the DLL files that spun out the upgrade for the SolarWinds product, uh, and by masquerading as a valid uh, party that could do this with all the right certificates that were, you know, signed off by the right people, uh, it was downloaded uh, perhaps automatically. And that could be one of my points in the near future is that, you know, a lot of these automatic upgrades that don't have human intervention or human in loops are going to become problematic. So you're going to see a lot of these upgraded, uh, you know, uh, systems that have continuous delivery, SecOps continuous delivery or um, on-demand delivery, maybe have uh, a second look, right? So um, could blockchain have helped? Well, theoretically, if the code that was maliciously planted into the um, dev cycle of SolarWinds had some sort of provenance, in other words, it would be fairly apparent if you had a tool like our Overwatch Blockchain Operations Center uh, that said, hey, look, something's in your system that has no official provenance. It's, it's, a, it's, it's an outlier, right? And so, uh, so an AI program could have detected that and said, look, you know, you're going to start building a product based on uh, information or code or what, what be it that's, uh, that, doesn't have, uh, that doesn't have any business in your system. So blockchain could have helped in that regard if, if that code had been detected because it didn't have a proper timestamp as part of a blockchain, right? So, the, you know, I'll 
turn the mic over to someone else, but uh, you know you, you can't you can't remove the human in the loop uh, part of this by just assuming that AI and blockchain are going to solve the, the the problem. It's not. In fact, hats off to the FireEye engineer who obviously detected this anomaly and then you know sort of through some transparency decided to make sure that everyone in the world knew you know where it came from or what what it was doing to the to the uh, to the world in general so uh, that's my take on it absolutely thanks John and I just have one question where was that a uh, fire eye engineer when I was just taken down by my mute button earlier <laughs> when uh ended it off to me. I could have used in the day. All right, great. You know, Bill, we were talking a little bit about this uh, earlier as well. You want to jump in here and, and talk a little bit about your thoughts on uh, the attacks and perhaps yeah. uh, blockchain and AI? Absolutely. So where, where my first thoughts take me is into the, um, you know, as we're moving into this new paradigm from decentralized systems. So if we're, we're moving from the centralized part into the decentralized and and by its nature, we're talking about um, consortia. We're talking about inter more interoperability between partners, more sharing, more transactions. I mean, that's really what the fundamentally what we're doing with these with the blockchain system. So, what it what it really starts to say to me is we can't ignore the various layers that are enabling that. So if we we start looking at um, things like identity. So like what John had said, you've got someone here who is not credible or, or there's there's something happened in my system. Well, uh, you know, that's the reactive part of it. But to the, John's other point, you know, you're, you want to narrow that target, if you will. And so if you, you need to be very cognizant of not just your own firewall inside your firewall and protecting. But now I'm again, I'm 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 reaching out, or I'm in a consortia, or I'm I'm interacting with others. You know who are those others? And and so as as we talked about on the the last podcast I was on with uh, talking more about factor chain, you know that is a supply chain finance application. So you're talking now. You've you've opened up. Okay, I need some access to some data. The the the. Um, idea typically is that the more data the better and then you'd say well you know i get diminishing returns but but in actual fact you need to start thinking about this data as being a liability because you know do i really need that data or do i just need the results of a computation on that data so i mean there's there's a number of things that need to be thought through here and then you know as we as we kind of move towards uh, putting these things in place and monitoring them, we're using the AI for risk assessment. And, we're, and we've got that data allower there. Well, now we're saying, well, I want to be able to track this. So now I'm going to say, well, I, I've got to pull in, you know, wh what's happening along the supply chain? Well, um, we, we do a lot of things with cold chain. So there's, there's keeping the, you know, the temperature right in a truck. There's an IoT device that's going to measure that, that um, temperature and, and feed it in so that our AI can pay attention. Well, what is that device? Where did that device come from? What rights does that device have? Again, that whole identity, governance, and then the ability to, as, as John was saying, to be able to, to use the AI to look for some of those anomalies. But it, you've got to have that 
infrastructure in place and you've got to have the, you know, if you want to really take advantage of these new technologies, there's, there's a number of things more to do than simply a, uh, you know, a distributed ledger. So these, these systems bring with them some, you know, some opportunities for uh, more breaches, but that means you've got to be even more uh, aware and put the, you know, put the infrastructure and the DevOps and all of the things that you guys provide, it has to be in place. Absolutely. No, thank you. Thank you for that information, Bill. And I think that kind of rolls us into where I'd like to take this conversation. And, you know, no, once you realize you've been attacked, you know, you realize you have uh, this type of situation on your hands, you've got to go into damage control, damage assessment. You've got to start to analyze exactly uh, what, when, where, and how. And uh, before you, you can even create your plan of attack on uh, combating uh, the attack itself, you know, one of the things that, that, you know, in our system, for example, the immutability, you know, by being built on blockchain for blockchain, you know, if in fact an attack happened, we would be able to go into the logs and, and see exactly who went where, when, and, and start to trace those attacks uh, forward and backwards. Uh, Joel, this is really your wheelhouse. Why don't you talk to us about what do you feel the next steps are? How do they assess the damage and, and where do we go from here? Uh, thanks, Jules. Uh, so, I mean, first we we got to go to uh, deal with the basics, and uh, not not just because um, we're talking about this disruptive, uh, great technology with blockchain, and then uh, moving on to the more advanced. But uh, my my advice and, and my take on this is just that we we as organizations and security practitioners should should continue that basic um, path of um, maintaining the security controls that you have for your organization. So, you know, keeping your data uh, safe online, using a, your VPN uh, to uh, strengthen uh, remote connections, maintain act, you know, your act, um, AV software, implement strong password policies and best practices, patch and update your software regularly, specifically security patches, Implement you know, two-factor authentication, endpoint protection, secure your mobile and smart devices. Building a robust infrastructure with layered protection. You know, you are should be very familiar with the defense in depth uh, framework, and you know, make sure that you also implement the network segregation and, and so on from a infrastructure perspective. And it's also important to establish an ongoing cybersecurity training across your organizations from the highest person in your organization to everyone uh, at the um, uh, operational and business aspect of your organization. And, and lastly, this is what one of my big takes is that uh, you can, any organization can probably have um, high or unlimited funds, which I don't think there's quite a few of those organizations out there that can implement um, uh, the latest and greatest uh, security technologies, but for my take, is it's very important to to continue for an organization to continue and enhance your organization's incident response program, um, because most organizations uh, kind of have a reactive incident response organization as opposed to really having a robust and proactive one. So by what I mean by that is you should be able to establish uh, good policies, roles, and responsibilities for all your IR teams and 
the stakeholders and uh, perform uh, tabletop exercises, do periodic mock drills and so on. Because uh, I think it's important that, as uh, mentioned earlier in the session, that um, since the numbers seem to be decreasing on the time to identify as to when an organization has been breached, again, as I mentioned earlier, it used to be in the 300 plus days, now it's down to 200 days, which is still a long time, that the moment that you identify that there's a breach, you wanna make sure that you diminish your limit uh, that time uh, as short as possible to execute your incident response as quickly as possible so you can perform your typical IR response uh, program. Uh, and um, that's pretty much my take for now. And uh, anyone else want to chime in? John, actually, we were talking about this a little earlier when it comes to damage assessment. And, you know, you've been in IT for a long time and data security for even longer. I think uh, you were there when the first tablet was stolen from the uh, Greek library uh, way back in the day. <laughs> and I was wondering if perhaps maybe you wanted to give us a real world um, example of, you know, what do you do? You just got hacked, you find out your hack and how do you assess the damage? Yes, well, let me tell you that, um, you know, one thing I wanna get across to all the CIOs CISOs, CAIOs out there, and anyone that has anything to do with network operations, that it's very important that there be teamwork. For example, I can't tell you how many times I've seen people set up a SolarWinds network monitoring or network uh, management system and say, okay, that's great. You know, I'm going to give it admin level uh, access. Passwords could be one, two, three, four, five, et cetera. You know, you've heard of those stories, right? That's because nine times out of ten, what I see is when the network's involved, security is never called in to kind of, you know, monitor it from the get-go. And that includes the concept of developing a product from the ground up with security built in up front. So that's the first lesson that I've learned that I would tell folks on this uh, podcast, you know, get your team together and make sure you understand from top to bottom where the potential vulnerabilities are. Second of all, um, don't assume because you are not one of SolarWinds 300,000 plus customers or the 18,000 that they estimate have actually been affected by the breach that you're in the clear. Uh, you know, to paraphrase uh, George Carlin, the famous comedian, you know, it's a club and you're not part of it. Well, you, we don't know. We still don't know based on the facts at this date and time, how many people were affected that could have been non-Solar Flare customers. Case in point, I have many clients have called over the past couple of days that, well, John, you know, everything we do is SaaS or in the cloud, so we're not affected. We're not cloud, uh, you know, cloud flare, you know, solar flare customers, right? But that's not the case. Remember, cloud and SaaS are just your stuff on someone else's computer, right? Yeah. At some point, that other person's computer is being managed by network operations and hopefully security operations. So 
if they failed at some point to take the necessary steps to prevent these kinds of attacks, then it doesn't matter if you've got a cloud connection or it's in your data center, you're still going to have the effect. And that's what I think is starting to freak people out right now because we really don't know how extensive this breach went beyond. Second of all, everyone's focusing uh, on the fact that there is a particular type of breach implied in this particular attack, but these are very sophisticated folks. We have no idea what they started recalibrating once they got the, the, the message that they've been figured out, right? So they could have months ago started laying out other types of attacks uh, using similar techniques uh, that we don't even know about. It's sort of like uh, Donald Rumsfeld saying, uh, you know, uh, we should only fear the unknowable, right? So those, that's the advice I would, I would give to folks is go back to basic blocking and tackling. Make sure your teams are coordinated on security side, the network side, the application delivery side, the mobile side, and also uh, just make sure that you aren't complacent by thinking it didn't happen to me because it, it could very easily happen to you, especially in a cloud uh, environment. Yeah, you made some very, very great points. You know, a week ago, nobody was hacked. And, you know, as of right now, only the top uh, companies with, with this fantastic engineering team were even able to discover that they were hacked and where there's smoke, there's fire. Uh, John, so you brought up a great point, you know, for those of you that uh, think you might be out of the scope of this hack, it is time to dig in and to do a full security assessment and uh, take a good hard look at your network and your different pieces of technology to ensure that you are in fact safe. And then Bill, you as well, you have a lot of experience as, as well. You know, how in, in your experience, do you assess the damage or the proper way to jump in Right now, if you if you think you are out of the danger, you know what what do you do to ensure that you are in fact uh, not breached as well? Well, I think you've got to go back to what John was saying, and 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 also Joel, which is um, the, the 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 preparation is is, is part of you know it, it it it's how do you find you don't wait till you get attacked. So and now that you now that you're thinking, okay. I dodged a bullet. Well, did you dodge a bullet? Okay, well, no, you, you can't be sure that you did. So now you're gonna say, well, well, how do I find that out? Um, you know, and, I, and I'm gonna go on, what, and, and depending on the size of the organization, I mean, this is massive, you know, this could be massive. And, and if you're looking at multiple systems, multiple users, I mean, wh where do you start? So, I mean, I, I, I have to echo, there's, I don't think there's a, um, you know, there's a silver bullet. Oh, I'll just go do X now that I, and I'll check. You would love it to be like that, but to, you know, to Joel's point about these, you know, having the desktop um, uh, exercise that you go through or having a, you know, are there some white hat um, uh, potential processes that you go through with external groups that are ongoing testing your systems? I mean, there's a number of things that, that you can do. And I just don't think the, it's, it's one of these things, and I, and I hate to you know, come back to the COVID thing, but um, you, know, you look at that and you say, um, we weren't prepared, it happened, 
and nobody could have done anything about it. Well, in fact, we were talking about it in you know, 2012. We we're talking about those potential uh, pandemics a long time ago, and we saw a few. You know, um, you know that it would happen somewhere else, Hong Kong or something like that. So we don't have to really worry about it. This is a, a, an attitude, I think, of of you. Know, you have precious resources, and you need to keep them um, secure. But this now goes up into the into the C-suite and into the you know if you're a public company now you're looking at liability where um, and this is this was my you know one of the points I was making before was around data like you 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 don't j just have to go did I get connect did I get attacked but you've got to go where where are there resources that somebody might want and and you go okay my data okay but which data like are you collecting uh, user data and then are you archiving it and then where is that user data kept and that sort of thing like you you've I think you've you've really now this is a wake up call this is like you don't know what's going on you don't really know how this happened like I, the, the what I saw from a, you know from an outsider's perspective was the security folks at the U.S. government kind of using the I can't talk about it because it's um, it's 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 confidential and security. But I think because they didn't know, and you know, I don't think they have, and I don't think they know what to do. And and then you look at these old systems. Like I, I think this is a you know this is really something that has to be addressed. But I think it has to be addressed in the context of there are other systems that we have been talking about for the last few years these you know distributed systems these identity systems that are built on blockchain using ai to to monitor and we've really got to start looking at them and not be in this well what do i really need blockchain for man there's a lot of stuff that you are if you're just taking this general approach there's a lot of stuff that you're missing and you've got to go le level by level layer by layer of your apps and your systems and start you know s swapping stuff out or at least planning for the inevitability of these systems are going to get breached i've got to go in and, and i've got to be uh uh vigilant so I, I i don't think i answered your question about what do you do first but because i don't think there is something right like, like even if the best companies don't know now what do i do i and and yeah i, I was ready i was you weren't ready. Obviously, you weren't ready, and there's going to be things we're not ready for. But it's that um, you know, again, going back to there's these systems, there's things in place that you can do, and particularly in areas where I, th I think there's some high high visibility areas that are obvious. And to me, it typically is all around the data. That's where people are going to want to get in. They want to get your data, and they want to. That's where the breaches and start there. Absolutely, Bill. And to your point, you know, we all plan on. And we know our fire escape route, but when you wake up in the middle of the night and your roof's on fire, you know, all of a sudden the plan goes out the window. Yeah. And right now we are, you know, not to be the warmonger over here because I'm not, but, you know, we've been told cyber warfare is the, the war battleground of the future. We are here. It has been happening kind of uh, in a controlled fashion. And uh, you're not putting this genie back in the bottle. It's war and it's cyber war. And as John uh, was saying in our, our pre-podcast here, Great expression, you know, we've heard it a million times, ambulance chasing. Now there's gonna be a ton of ambulance chasing. Everyone's all hands on deck. Um, and uh, Joel, and I know, you know, from our long time knowing each other, you've dealt with some pretty significant, you know, situations before successfully. You know, what kind of response expectations, uh, you know, can we expect? What can we expect from here? 
Yeah, um, absolutely right. I mean, again, um, having been in this uh, field for a long time, and then as you mentioned, you and I go back uh, about 20 years ago, that it's imperative that the the response and ambulance chasing, you know, must be really done in in a good manner or or else the organization is just spinning its wheels, kind of like what I think uh, Bill was alluding to. So and that's uh, as I mentioned earlier, that uh, a robust incident response is really critical. And, and of course, uh, on the flip side, not from the non-operational side, to answer your question, Jules, that um, you know um, most organizations are are covered or bound by some type of regulatory requirements, right? So if you're just like in my background, I was I was mostly in the fintech, in the private sector. You know, we were uh, governed by um, FFIC uh, um, and and one organization by the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, for various uh, um, requirements, regulatory requirements, um, OTS and such. And you know, there's protections that we have to uh, comply with regards to PII and in some organizations, um, you know, health uh, health information, um, EPHI and, and such, and even uh, additional information that is pertinent, like intellectual property that your organization, you know, would need to secure. So, so that what most most of the time is what drives the importance of the commitment of an organization with regards to their ability to respond because they are liable based on the um, regulatory requirements that they comply need to comply with, and again, also from the uh, high demand from their customers uh, to make sure that their uh, personal data, private data, PII is basically uh, secured and protected from end to end, you know, either in data in use and also in transit and um, also data at rest. And um, hopefully that answers your question, uh, Jules. Well, Jules, I think is having some uh technical difficulty. So I've got a question for Bill while he's wheelhouse. Bill, uh, put your VC hat on for a second. And at the risk of sounding like an ambulance chaser, what do you see is the opportunity for companies like SBT and um, uh, Factor Chain, et cetera, to, to go now to VCs, private equity firms, yeah. invested sources and say, look, you know, we're aware of this situation. We're building the monitoring uh, tools that we need, you know, to, to, to take advantage of not only traditional networking operations and, uh, but also adding the uh, additional AI and blockchain uh, component so that, you know, while we can't necessarily prevent these types of attacks, we can go a lot further, as you said earlier, and identifying up front what the attack surface is with the organization and also the threat level. I, I think it's a great um, great perspective to have. And you know, it, initially what will happen is um, you know, companies will be, you know, with the ambulance chasing, they'll be like, well, uh, I'm gonna highlight that part of it. I think again, going mm -hmm. forward, what you need, what we, from, a, from an investor perspective and from what we talk about is 
um, investment ready companies. So, you know, you're, you're on a trajectory from a startup where you got a good idea, then I do an MVP, I do my V1, and then I move towards a commercialized system. Well, in those early stages, you, you know, typically you, you're looking at a, 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 a slice of functionality that will impress the investor to be able to say, okay, I, I, I believe in the vision or I believe in the idea. I think what's going to happen, and this is what, you know, we see this in when we're talking to um, potential uh, bringing in investors for our, our portfolio companies, and then we're asking that to companies that are you know coming to us and looking for financing. Is that you know what are you doing around cybersecurity? You know how can how can you go into particularly in the enterprise? If it's a if it's a business of consumer, it's funny because people don't really oh it's in the cloud. It's it's that that's one of the what's one of the riskiest parts. So the, and then when you look at it in, I've got an application that's going to be more B2B. Now I'm going to have to not just integrate to the technology stack of these other companies. Now I'm going to have to also worry about, as you said, just because it's in the cloud doesn't mean I'm safe. So, and, and then we see this initial, you know, this ongoing um, trend, particularly in FinTech, as you brought up, Joel, is you're starting to look at payments. You're starting to look at, at um, the, 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 the movement of money and the movement of value. And so how am I protecting all of that? Then we look at it, this, these embedded systems. So you, you're probably aware of um, uh, Stripe Treasury as an, as one example that was made you know, a, a couple of weeks ago. So now we've got these FinTech companies that are embedding their tech into someone else's tech. So you can imagine the flow from, so Stripe is in, is in Shopify. Now I'm a user of a Shopify website and, and I'm using that banking that is in, embedded in Shopify going back through to Stripe and going to Goldman Sachs to my bank account that got set up. Well, if that doesn't open up a number of very meaty places where it could, breaches could come in, I mean, those are the kind of things. And then, so the, the opportunity to not just wave your hands and go, I've got a security solution, but to really go, how am I going to implement my system so that it doesn't broach the security that's already there? I think that's really where the, where the focus has to be. So any startups that are out there, anyone that's looking at raising money, this is really something that either you need to look at, or if you've got it, you can highlight as SBT. I think it's going to be something that people are going to be looking, where can I invest? Because this is, this is not just a blip, this is something that is, as, as Jules said, we're at war and war is not gonna end. It's just gonna continue. Yeah, if I can add to that, um, Bill, that I, I really think, especially from what I mentioned earlier too, that besides the fact that organizations should just go ahead and continue to maintain and strengthen their um, general security uh, controls that are in place, uh, it's important for organizations to start planning and moving forward to implementing advanced technologies, again, to the point of what we're talking about here, is to strengthen their cybersecurity program using enterprise blockchain technology yeah. and even adding AI and ML to it. And I'm gonna speak real quick at a high level just to make sure that we're all on the same page on what exactly, what the added value does blockchain really provide from a security perspective? You know, because we all know um, that blockchain uh, records are immutable once the records are validated and recorded on the chain, they're basically unalterable. You can't change it. 
And since the embedded metadata are tied to the transaction, it cannot be separated, can be lost or, or altered, which is a good thing. Yeah. The user integrity is verified with asymmetric cryptography uh, via digital signatures and transactions, which are also added onto the blockchain. Mm -hmm. And there's full transparency of transactions which are visible and auditable to all the trusted users who are on the same blockchain network. Right. Again, that's a, uh, an added security plus. Right. Uh, and then the smart contracts provide secure uh, automatic transaction execution, which uh, enforces uh, on the terms of the contract. And there's also increased security regarding identity management. We talked about it earlier prior to this call that, you know, that's important because the ID validation, for example, in the healthcare environment is key because a lot of people's uh, identity is either stolen or impersonated. And it's a big deal, especially at the healthcare and other industries as well. And on the flip side too, counterfeiting uh, prevention is, is a strong feature that blockchain uh, will be able to address the non-corruptible database records uh, that validates each unique product through the chain. So as, as organizations deal from a supply chain perspective, that can be validated and it eliminates a duplication and it, it ensures the authenticity, right? And then leveraging, and then lastly, leveraging the uh, distributed keyless signature infrastructure right. for the authenticating devices and the user's uh, system security augmentation will be beneficial, for example, in the um, smart grid environment. So hope that kind of takes us back to what uh, John and, and Bill just mentioned. Absolutely, and I'm, I'm back as well. I uh, believe the next thing we need to uh, put together is a blockchain phone, just trying to host this topic. I've been kicked off what now three times. <laughs> so I think we're hacked. I think we're being watched. We're watching, watching the watchers, watch the watchers. So no, absolutely, guys. We, I, I want to come back to this. You know, uh, we're trying to keep these brief for the audience. Um, it's clear that there are going to be a lot of updates uh, that are happening here over the next few weeks. There's a lot to be learned. Uh, I think we can dig in and even go deeper, especially as more information becomes readily available. If it's okay with you gentlemen, I'd like to wrap it. I think the audience has a lot of great information to research. Um, again, you know, thank you for joining us. Uh, make sure you check out our website at secureblocktech.com as we continue to explore how blockchain and AI are affecting the future of cybersecurity. And we're going to work our way through uh, possibly the greatest use case in our lifetime. So uh, gentlemen, Bill, thank you for joining us again. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. John, I'm glad you're still. Absolutely. And John, glad you're still with us, buddy. Thank you for joining us. No problem. And Bill, a pleasure seeing you again. Thanks for coming on. Joel, always a pleasure. Absolutely, Joel. So glad you could make it. Uh, love, love the Santa hat. Uh, when we get back into town, we'll be coming over for uh, some, some gifts and uh, some coffee. Of course, uh, for the audience, uh, thank you for joining us, and we look forward to uh, hearing from you again next week. Take care. Thanks, everyone. Merry Thanks, Christmas. Sarah.